Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Uh, so glad you can join us today. Uh, I am pretty blessed to be here, not with our usual co-host, Dr. Bruce Becker, but with our friend Amber L.B. Swenson. Uh, you might know that name. She is the hostess of a great podcast called Little Things. Uh, she's been a longtime friend and contributor at Time of Grace. Uh, welcome, Amber. Good to have you here. So good to be here, Mike. And I'm really, really excited to talk about the topic on the table today. Yeah. Hey, before we jump in real quick, um, I know a lot about you from uh, listening to your podcast and knowing you over the years. If someone is just meeting you for the first time, what's like, what's the most information about yourself you can put inside of 37 seconds? So wife, mom, that means that I've been through the trenches with you, which is ex especially important today when we talk about the issue of abortion. I think that's important to note. Um, I have led Bible studies and been speaking and writing about the Bible for lots of years and have a heart for women and women's ministry especially. So super happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Amber. Yeah. If you're ready, what do you say? Should we dive right into it? Let's do it. But we're going to dive into the deep end because coming up soon on Time of Grace, we have a number of messages on the topic of abortion. Uh, we're talking about Abortion in the womb, abortion in the church, abortion in the state, uh, which is probably as complicated and as emotional of a social and spiritual issue maybe that exists in contemporary American culture. So I'm excited to talk this over with you and let me pass the baton because I think you have a couple questions to get us going. I'm just so glad you started by saying that, that it's an emotional, it's a complex issue. Um, I'm just glad that you put that out there because I hope that we can, through this interview and through your messages, humanize the women who have had abortions and look at this uh, situation a little bit more broadly and see what's going on and, and then be able to speak the truth into these women's lives, whether it's healing and forgiveness or... Um, to walk alongside them. So that brings us to the first thing I'd like to talk to you about is that um, in your first message, you you just put truth out there. And I, I just appreciated that because you found truth not just from the Bible, but from secular sources as well. The problem is that when we even talk about the word truth, um, our culture doesn't really deal with absolute truth. You have your truth, I have my truth, so how can, how can Christians even combat your truth with the truth? Mm. Yeah. I don't think you know this, Amber, but uh, my research for the past two days here in the office has been reading every single occurrence of the word truth in the entire Bible. Ooh. Yeah. So the, the next series that I'm preaching in a little bit is called Truth. So th this stuck with me. I found out the word truth, at least in the, the New International Version, shows up 137 times. 99 of those times, it's in the phrase, the truth. The phrase, my truth, shows up zero times. And the phrase, your truth, shows up three times, but only when someone is talking to God. So... Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a big cultural, it's a roadblock, right? That the devil puts up so we we can't just listen to the voice of a loving father. 
Um, but I think if, if someone has a heart and they do care about Jesus, I mean, that data to me is stunning. We hear in every single news story, living your truth and being authentic to your truth and telling your story and to know that it's not just like here and there in the Bible, that idea is nowhere in the Bible. And that Jesus, who loves us more than we'll ever comprehend, he refused to speak in those terms. So I think a good analogy would be like if I said, um, if I use the phrase my red, like the, the couch in my office is my red. You'd say, no, but is it red or is it not? Like there, there's a standard for what colors are that we all agree upon. And I think that's where it's getting cloudy is once it's my truth and I can kind of do whatever I want and no one can say anything about it, not even Jesus. So yeah, let, let's get back to how God defines the word truth. And I think what's so important about this is you mentioned um, in this message that you had an email from a Christian and it's so easy for us to say, well, the secular culture, you know, struggles with knowing the truth, but it's not just the secular culture. Christians also struggle with this concept. So what steps can we take to start making sure that we're getting the truth? You said right off the bat, God's word is truth. So that's got to be the first step is to get into the word. But is there is there more? Yeah, you know, the phrase from, I think it's first... Peter 4, you know, speaking the truth in love. I think it's hard to even have ears for the truth, have ears to hear it, if the person speaking doesn't speak in love. You know? So if I'm the parent saying, never, you better not get pregnant. And the Bible says no sex outside of marriage. Like, I, I, I suppose in a way I'm giving some truth. But if if that conversation isn't, couched in so much love. Like, hey, I, I love you. I want to spare you some heartache and complications. This is really difficult. Your mom and I messed this up. Lots of people mess this up. I, I want you to walk with God as best you can. And if you fall and fail, I'm going to be here for you. And so will Jesus. So I, I think there's a, a secular culture that wants to erase truth. I think there's a twisted form of Christian culture that wants to give people the truth but with little gentleness or compassion or patience. And like Jesus is in this, you know, he was full of grace and truth. So there's this really narrow road that whenever we talk about something this personal and emotional, man, we just have to pray desperately, God, fill me with truth and love so I can do this right. And I'm not going to brush over what you just said because I think you said something that's so huge and that a lot of parents won't do. And I had this conversation, as I've said, um, anybody who's listened to me at all knows that I have older teen and young adult children, some who have been in relationships for a while. And I mentioned to some Christian parents um, recently, some moms and I were talking, and I said, I had that conversation where I said, I'm not accusing you of doing anything. I'm not saying you're doing anything. I just need you to know that if you slip, and if something did happen, I want to see my grandchildren. So I need you to come talk to me. I need us to work things out. I need, I need you to know that I don't want you to get an abortion because you're afraid that your mom would not be okay with this, or you're afraid of what I would say. Or, and I 
hope that I did it right. I'm not sure that I did it right. I, I wasn't by any means trying to put a stamp of approval on, you know, go have sex with your boyfriend or, or anything like that. But, but I think if we're afraid to even start having those conversations with our kids, that we leave a lot to be determined in their 18, 19, and 20-year-old minds. You know, that mom would be so angry if I ended up pregnant that it's better to just end it than to deal with this. Wow. Yeah, that's, I think, I wasn't there, but I think you did it right. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, you're, so you're, you're, what you just described is what I sometimes call preemptive preaching. Like, if this hasn't happened yet, but if it would happen, here's what I would say, and here's how I would feel, and here's what I would do for you, and here's what I wouldn't say, and here's how I wouldn't feel, and here's what I wouldn't do. First um, John chapter 2, uh, John says, I write this so that you, you won't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who speaks in our defense, Jesus Christ. So it's almost like, hey, <laughs> don't, don't do it. But if you do, here's this great news, and I want to walk with you in truth and love. So I, I think talking openly about abortion doesn't increase the amount of sinning. It just increases our opportunities to bring Jesus to sinners. So preemptive preaching is great. And that, that moves us right into the second message, because in the second me- message, you talked about the roadblocks that so many women have in bringing a child into the world. And there has been a major criticism from the secular world that the pro-life movement and or the church, they care about the baby. They say and they preach, keep the baby, keep the baby, keep the baby, but they don't care about the woman. Is that a fair criticism? Um, define fair. <laughs> Is there truth in it? Is it entirely true? <laughs> the church, you know, the church never helps. The church... Are there lots too many people in the church? Um, for sure. Are there a lot of amazing Christian people who are sacrificing time, money, and energy to adopt, to give to the poor, to help with mental health? For sure. So, yeah, yeah. I, I For me, I mean, if you're saying, hey, Mike, think about your story is it a fair criticism? I would say for me, it would be, or it was at least. You know, I had kind of an easy, easy orthodoxy. Abortion is wrong. Psalm 51, 5, Psalm 139, Luke 1 and 2 say that life starts in the womb. So don't. Okay, I passed my catechism test. Now I'm going to go spend money on video games and hang out with my friends and not even think about why people get abortions or do anything about it. So it, it was... It was a convenient Christianity, and hopefully most Christians aren't like I was, but maybe I wouldn't be shocked if they were. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I also appreciate you bringing up the fact that um, there are a lot of Christians who have got their hands on the ground and doing everything that they can um, to walk alongside people, even if that isn't you. And even if there is a fair criticism that reaches some of us today, that's not to at all slap the people in the face who have been working really, really hard and putting time, energy, effort, money into doing everything they can. So I appreciate that you 
that you said that. And I think some other people are going to appreciate that you said that too. I heard once on a radio program that was talking about abortion, actually, that um, if just one person came alongside a woman who was pregnant and not in the best of circumstances, that would make a huge impact in her life. It may not lead to her not getting an abortion, but she'd at least consider not getting an abortion. So how do we go from telling people that abortion is wrong to being there for them? Wow. Yeah, you, you sent me that question ahead of time. And to be honest, of all your questions, that's the one I just stared at for a long time. And I'm, I'm still staring a little bit. Um, as a pastor, I see this all the time as, you know, as inviting and as compassionate as I want to be to all kinds of sinners. I've learned that whenever you have a very high standard of morality and you take sin very, very seriously, that people are often going to hide from you, right? It's going to be hard for them, even though I'm preaching, hopefully even more gospel than law. Like when you say, here's the standards for what God wants for our words, our choices, for sexuality, for marriage. Like when people fall short of that, there is an instinct to hide. So I, I don't think this is an easy fix. I think there are steps we can take to get better at it. Um, maybe just telling stories in the conversations we have about, well, preemptive preaching again, right? Like, I, th I think your example is great. You're just setting your children up to know if I end up in the situation, mom's, mom's in my corner. And I think if I can tell stories like that as a pastor saying, hey, God wants us to honor the marriage bed and to be sexually pure. But man, just like patience or compassion or forgiving someone who hurt you, that's really difficult to do. And all have sinned and fallen short. But let me give you two pieces of good news. Number one, Jesus went to the cross for this. Number two, you belong here. And uh, if we got a babysit for you, you belong here. And if you can't afford diapers and you're like, if you find yourself with an unplanned pregnancy, this is the spot to come. This is a refuge, this is a hospital, this is a place for people like you. Look, the more we can build that into our culture and every ear is kind of listening to how they should react, like those conversations just like have a domino effect and make it safe and good and, and Christian, I think. You brought up actually uh, a story in, your, in one of your messages about a man who responded to a situation. And I think what you just said is so important in terms of, I, I want to make sure that people understand, react. How you react when given the news is huge. You have a split second to react very often to anything. And I've worked with teens and young adults for years. And I had a uh, young man who had asked me several years back if I would be one of the five people in his life who held him accountable. And I said, absolutely. And so, you know, we check in and at different times. And I remember getting a, a text from him that said, Amber, I need to talk to you today. And I said, absolutely. I will make time. You tell me when. And he said, I need it to be a FaceTime. And I said, you got it. And when I got on that FaceTime and I said, hey, what's going on? And he said, I slept with someone last night. He wanted to make sure he could see my face. Mm. And I had 
a split second to respond and say, you slipped. And you know what? That's why I'm in your life. And that's why I'm in your accountability partner. And that's why we go back to Jesus. And that's why. But if we're not prepared for that, if we're not prepared for how we're going to respond when you have that person in your life who comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, yeah, you know, then we might not respond the best way possible. So I think that these conversations are so important for us to have so that each of us could say, how would we respond if I was in that situation? If a young woman at church came up to me and said, I'm pregnant. Or if your daughter or your granddaughter or I, I just think it's so important for us to realize that 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 instantaneous response means everything. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. That's Amber, that if people don't respect your walk of faith, the fact that someone would reach out to you, not in a vague text, but want to see your face like. If I were you, I would consider that one of the best compliments in like a decade. I was just praying. Like, I was like, I was praying beforehand and I didn't realize the impact until afterwards when I put my phone down and I thought, he wanted to see my face. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, that, you know, we will have plenty of time to say plenty of things. All right, the the baby isn't going to be here in nine minutes. (laughs) We got nine months, so it's probably good to instinctively lead with just expressive over-the-top love. Like, as soon as I hear that news, I'm coming in for a hug. I'm thanking you. I'm reminding you that God is here in this moment. And if we have to talk about complicated things down the road, there is time for that. So let's let the gut reaction be, thank you for telling me, man, God so loved the world, so he has to love you. I don't think anyone's ever regretted starting in that spot. I think that it's really important, too, that your wife clearly has gone through a couple of pregnancies. I've gone through four. Um, you know, that person who you're going to walk alongside with, they are going to need encouragement often. Like you said, it's not nine minutes until the baby comes. And there could be times of feeling miserable, of really wondering why I'm giving up these nine months of my life. And it seems to me that it's the split second reaction is important, but so is every reaction in in the walk, you know, of how you doing today. I feel terrible. This is annoying. Yep, it sure is. But you know what? You have a blessing growing in you that only God could put there. So what can I do to make you feel a little bit better today? Or or what can I do to let you know? that something beautiful and wonderful is happening inside you right now. I I hope that we aren't just concerned with the split second reaction. That's good. That's really good. Which is actually what we're going to get into in in just just a minute. But before we go there, I I think that some of our listeners might not realize that uh, a research, uh, a survey done in 2015 said that over 40% of women who have abortions say that they were frequent churchgoers. So we can we can say, oh, the people out there are having abortions. Well, 40%, and by frequent, they went more than once a month, I believe is what the statistic said. So, and then the article continued that said that 64% of respondents 
felt that members of the church were more likely to gossip about their pregnancy or their abortion consideration rather than actually help them. Um, so how we've, we've been talking about breaking down the barriers, mm-hmm. but you, you also mentioned that um, women tend to maybe fall into gossiping a little bit, a little bit more than men. Men might not be so, so likely to get, and I think this is a message and this is an important thing for women to keep in mind because we have an important role here. How do we break down these barriers to go from being gossipers to being willing to walk alongside? Hmm. Yeah. It, you know, the, the first thing that popped into my mind when you, when you said, you know, that I, I feel like people would gossip about me was how, how demonic that statement is. Like my assumption is that God's sons and daughters will sin against me. And I call it demonic because I've seen, I'm really blessed. I think our church has a lot of flaws, but it's a pretty messy place with a lot of messy people. And so, I mean, gender dysphoria, sexuality issues, porn addiction, using heroin. Like I got high this week, pastor, but I didn't use a needle. Like that was the, one of the celebratory moments of my past week with a church member. Right. And yet even though I consider our church a pretty safe place to confess some pretty serious stuff, all the time people will say, I feel, Pastor, I haven't told anyone because I feel like if I did, they would be so disgusted with me. I remember uh, one woman who's struggling with bisexual pornography and I was like, thanked her for being honest and courageous and opened my Bible and walked with her. I said, okay, who, who, who's going to help us with this? Uh, I can't, I can't tell anyone about this. They would be so disgusted. I said, was I disgusted? Well, no pastor, but you little, this was a quote, but you are the only one. <laughs> I thought, what? what? I'm, I'm pretty famous for not being the most compassionate guy around here. So that, that cannot be true. That, that, that is not true. I can think of a hundred people by name who would love you through this. So I, I think there's two spiritual battles and one is the person who has an unplanned pregnancy of not assuming the worst about God's people. Are there gossipy Christians? Sure. Are there hypocrites in the pews? Sure. Are some of the kindest, most compassionate, loving people I know there too? For sure. So let's not just operate off the assumption that everyone in church is a hypocrite. Maybe let's assume that God put those people there to help us and let's tell them. And if we find out that everyone around here is a gossip, okay, but let's not assume that. My second point is because the devil's so good at what he does, you know, because he makes us assume that we just can't talk about fill in the blank. Um, one of my mentors from Martin Luther College, uh, Dr. Mark Paustian, I'm not sure if you know that name. He did his, uh, his PhD work on indirect communication. And indirect communication um, it was pretty deep. Oh my goodness. He's a smart man. So <laughs> most of it went over my head. But I remember he said, sometimes it's more powerful not to say something directly to someone, but to say something about someone so they can hear it. So if I give you a direct compliment and say, Amber, this and this, you know, you kind of get sheepish and you feel weird about it. How do you respond? 
But if you're standing there and I turn to your husband, I say, hey, man, there's something I really love about collaborating with your wife. And you just get to over, you're like, it's, you're indirectly being communicated to. And he said, there's just something, it, it gets past the, the awkwardness of social interaction and gets right to the heart. And so I'm kind of thinking, you know, what is the power of indirect communication with abortion? Yeah, if I can say, maybe not to the person with the unplanned pregnancy, but maybe to someone that I know, um, and we can speak about that person who's in the room. So, yeah, I, it's, I think it takes some creative intention to get past the, the devil's lies that we just can't talk about that here. It, it's just not true. This is the spot where Jesus is king and his word is truth. And there's always grace that's sufficient for us. Yeah, I wish I was as good as you are at um, knowing where Bible passages are. But I keep thinking of that when I was quiet, you know, the decay in my bones or something, you know, just that idea of I, I love the fact that how satanic that is to just assume that everybody is going to respond the wrong way. That's what Satan wants you to believe, to keep yes. you to keep you hidden beneath the weight of a burden that your fellow Christians would love to walk with and help you carry. Um, so, so true. And what you just said too about that indirect, um, indirectly talking about someone leads right into the next topic that I wanted to talk about. I've worked with teens and youth for years at church and it is so predictable what happens. I am in their life and I am, you know, building them up and then they go away to college and pretty soon, you know, two years in, you see they moved in with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, then they unfriend me, of course. And then, you know, that whole communication just ends. And I just had an opportunity at church last night to speak to the father of a, of a young woman that this exact situation happened to. And I made sure to say, hey, how is so-and-so doing? He gave me an update and then he said, you know, the relationship didn't actually work. And I said, hey, make sure to say hi from me and I'd love to see her in church sometime. If I could just, you know, give her a hug, I would, I would love to. That indirect communication is such an important part of getting the message to these people, but so often we don't really have an opportunity to give the message that we want to walk alongside you to the people who need that. So how, is there a way that we can meet them where they are? Yeah, man. Yeah. You're breaking my heart, Amber, just cause I I've, I've seen it too many times. You know, it's, it's just predictable. It's just a pattern where I think my faith is fine. So I separate from God's word, God's people, and then I drift and then I start compromising and then I'm in a really bad spot, but now I'm too far away. And I, yeah. so, oh man, just the assumption that I'm going to stay close to Jesus without staying close to the people and the word that Jesus loved is just, it's like classic devil between the ages of 15 and 30, right? Um, not, not to be a broken record, but I, I think my best answer is, before you and I say goodbye to that stage where we have young people in under our influence, you know, if they're still in church, if they're still in high school, if they're still in the youth group, I would, I would literally 
tell them the pattern where things go. And I would make up stories of them by name. You know, let's say Joe here goes off to college and then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And when that happens, he's probably going to think this. But here's what he doesn't know in direct communication. He, he doesn't know that the whole time I haven't stopped thinking of him, praying for him. You know, this is just speaking the truth, right? And as soon as he reaches out, as messy as it is, I'm going to be happier than I've been in years because I love him and I want him to be close to God. Right? So the power of preemptive preaching, I think, is what you're saying. It, it really is. Let's just tell the stories. Hey, I'm, I hope it doesn't happen, but I have a hunch a bunch of you are going to have unplanned pregnancies. Yeah. And even I know one of the things that I do in my teen Bible study is um, anytime I get, uh, I hear little chatter, you know, among people where, you know, I, I maybe I'm getting ready for the study and I hear a couple of people talking and they're like, oh, did you see so-and-so is, is living with their, their boyfriend now or whatever. And I'll just make sure to make a point of that. I'll say, how do you guys feel about that? Oh, you know, she shouldn't be doing that. I say, do you think you'd ever be tempted to do that? Oh, heavens no. Good. That's called arrogance and pride. Let's let's talk about that today. Let's just let's just go there because guess what? When you're not in love, it is so easy to say I'll never do this. Yeah. It's so easy to to throw stones, but and then going into the conversation of so what would you do if she walked through the door right now. How how would you treat her? Do you think we should treat her differently, or, or or how should we treat her in that situation? I think any time we have the opportunity to have those conversations, it's it's huge. Um, but still, like you said, my heart breaks as your heart breaks for the conversations that I'm not able to have right now with the people who are straying and wandering. Yeah. Yep. So in the third message, you confronted the one-issue voters and broke down the roles of church and government. What is the primary role of the church? Can we skip all these questions, Amber? Is that allowed? <laughs> yeah, we can. I mean, you don't want to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> I, after I got done sharing this message at our church, I think I said to the Time of Grace team, I, I don't know if you're going to want to use this one. Um. So I, apparently we're going we're gonna to put it on the TV <laughs> and see what happens. Um, I'm not ashamed of it. I, I just have a hunch. I have a hunch that America is at such a stage where this is going to be a, a savage word to many faithful church-going people. I, I, really, I really do think that there are a lot of people who are being discipled by cable news and not from the Old and New Testament. Yeah, but that, I mean, how better to approach that? I mean, just as your um, tough questions with Pastor Mike, the people who are so upset politically, and your answer was, but how much time are you spending in your Bible? Um, compared to how much time you are, you're watching the news and, and that type of thing. And, and I think that's why these messages as tough as they are. And, and let's face it, sometimes our gut response when we're convicted of sin is to lash out at you because you showed me my sin. So that doesn't mean I don't need to hear it. And it just means that as the Holy Spirit is convicting me, I may put a target on your back temporarily 
Well, hopefully the Holy Spirit keeps working and saying, you got a little work to do here. Um, you know, so I think, I think there's value in, in talking about this, even if it isn't the most popular message that you'll have. Yes. I, I'm super curious to see what happens and how people respond. So, um, <laughs> that, that'll be the cliffhanger. I, it, it's just complicated, right? I, I think we live in the blessing of democracy, but because we have the, the privilege of a vote, like it, it just gets super entangled, right? Like God gave us, he put us in this place and time where many of us can shape who our leader is. So lots of the Old or New Testament passages, which were in cultures where that was not the government system, there's not a lot of guidance from Peter and Paul and John about how to vote. Um, it becomes a pretty in-depth, thoughtful issue. And just kind of my fear is that when we pick up on a, a preferred political party and like that becomes the thing we need to defend instead of the, the truth of Jesus. And that becomes really sad, right? Because then, then I got to die for my guy. I got to defend my people. I got to make excuses for our sins and I got to go after the enemies. And suddenly I'm, uh, I said in church the other day, you know, you know you're in a bad spot when there's a scandal on the other side of the aisle and you're happy about it. Yes. Like sin happened, someone broke God's holy law and you're happy because this gives you more power. And I, I think I've felt that and I'm not all that political. So, oh my goodness, like that is the blinking red light. Maybe we, we got off the highway of holiness and got on a political road that's led us far from where Jesus wants us to be. And I'm at a beautiful point in my life that, and I would actually say I'm at a beautiful point in my life where I have as many friends on one side of the aisle as on the other side of the aisle. And they, they, the beautiful thing about it is that they each, um, they each have valid points and they each evoke in me, you know, some things that the other person didn't. And, and I can see, um, when you aren't so blinded by, I, I just am going to blindly accept whatever else is on this side, then you're open to saying, as you were saying with the scandal, well, this isn't right, nor is this. This is good, as is this. Um, and I, and like you said, until Jesus runs for politics, I don't think I uh, can blindly go one place or the other. And as you mentioned, Jesus isn't on the ballot. So I think it's a good idea to be open-minded in, in that way. So true. So what do I do if I'm in a church that doesn't have access to a pregnancy center, that hasn't reached out to the community in any way, but your messages, and I think, I hope and pray that people do listen to these messages because I think your messages are going to stir in people um, a, a, a desire to help out and to, to get in the ground and to really get their hands dirty. Where do I start? What do I do? Oh, um, I would say start local. Like maybe it's our culture. You know, we got to change the world. We got to make a difference. No. Um, is it first or second Thessalonians that says God wants you to live a quiet life? Like keep your head down, love the people around you, 
that might be one person with an unplanned pregnancy. Um, right around the time I preached these messages, a woman from our church got got pregnant, you know, was very repentant for her sexual behavior. And her like a uh, life group, I saw a picture of it. It was so glorious. They had like um like a baby shower for her. She wasn't sure if she was gonna give the baby up for adoption or not. And I just see this picture and it becomes her Facebook profile. It was like one of those balloon arches and she's in the middle with a big smile and like all these Christian women gathered around her. Like we we didn't need a pregnancy center to do that. I literally got goosebumps as you were saying that. I mean, that is so beautiful. Yeah. So, hey, just uh, God puts a couple people in your life. If you got kids, if you got a brother or sister, someone new from church, like, huh, just love them. Love on them. Have preemptive conversations with them. After things happen, be the person like you who's one of the five people in their corner checking in. Like if we invest ourselves in a couple of people, there will be more than enough work to do. We won't be sitting around waiting for the pregnancy center to show up. <laughs> Absolutely. That's huge. Thank you for that. Um, as you work through this series, how did the way that you perceived abortion or what the women went through or our role as the church, how, how did that change, if at all, as you did your research and you delivered these messages? Oh, yeah, it did. It, I definitely think differently now than I did before. Um, this should have been obvious, but maybe as a guy, this just didn't, like crossed my mind. Like I, I will, I will make foolish choices a lot over very small emotional issues. Like I'm in a competitive soccer game that really doesn't matter for anything, and I don't get a call. And like I will react in a way that is not exactly biblical and good and loving. Right? I, I get that, why an emotional situation can trigger me to do something that doesn't follow the book. So imagine when the emotional situation is, holy cow, I'm pregnant. This is going to change my life. Can I stay in school? I don't know if I even want to be with this guy. Maybe there's red flags about his anger or abusive tendencies. My parents want me to get rid of the, like, when that kind of emotion is on your heart? Do I think it's ever right to end a pregnancy? No. Do I kind of understand why people do it? For sure. Um, so it opened my eyes to like, oh yeah, I, I get, I don't think you ever really understand a sin until you really can emotionally understand why someone would commit it. And something that I think a lot of guys don't understand is that, so there's two people in this relationship, right? That, that maybe wasn't sexually where it was supposed to be, it's going to show on one person. Yes. The guy can walk in and out of a, a church meeting. He can walk in and out of his parents' house. No one knows. The woman is the one who, who shows, who, who everybody can see what's going on. And, and I think a lot of us women, especially women who have been pregnant, we understand that, that um, for a woman, there's no escaping. There's no, you know, even the guy next to her doesn't bear the same stigma that she has to, which is why I think that it's so huge what your church did for that young woman. And I think women ministering to women, you know, what an, what an opportunity we have 
um, to just step alongside that woman and say, man, I can't wait for this baby. I just, I just cannot wait for this baby. You, it's going to change you in all the right ways. And by the way, if it's a colicky baby, sign me up. I'll take a night, you know, like I get it. That's hard. I called my mom more than one occasion saying, mom, I cannot get the baby to quit crying. It's been two and a half hours. I just need someone. I I just need someone to come. And, And almost notoriously, my mom would walk in the baby would quit crying and I felt like, why did I even do that? But you know what? Just having another woman to come, even maybe my mom just needed to sit beside me. You know yes. what I mean? Maybe I just needed another woman. And uh, oh man, women in the church, we have such a great opportunity to just lock arms with our younger sisters in Christ and say, "Yeah, hey, guess what? I sin a lot. I yeah. sin a lot and I've screwed up and... And even if you can't see it when I walk into church because I don't have a bump growing inside of me, I, I'm I'm right here next to you and I'm I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, wow, that is well said. Yeah, we're all going to have different roles. Some people maybe couldn't handle the colicky baby, but they've been successful in business and they can they can donate to deal with issues of poverty. You know, they can help out with shelters. Some people will be able to teach and preach in a way that minimizes abuse. I just think if we all care, we don't all have to do all of it, but all of us can do a part of it. And like together, let the church be the church and we'll know exactly what to do when someone shows up pregnant and they didn't plan on it. I hope so. Thanks for talking about this. I think this is really important and I just appreciate, I appreciate the time you put into it. I appreciate the heart behind um, the messages that you delivered and I I really hope this is life-changing for women. Thanks. Well, hey, Amber, thank you so much. You took a lot of time and uh, energy again. Uh, If you're listening out there, just a reminder, this doesn't have to be the last time you hear Amber in the next week. So she has a great podcast called Little Things that you can track down through Time of Grace. And if, if um, if you've never had an abortion, then I absolutely hope that you will join me on Little Things later on this month when I talk to two women who have had abortions and share their stories with you. I think... It's just so important that we um, see what they've gone through, why they had an abortion, what led to that, um, the circumstances that were in their life at the time, and also the fact that both of these women are uh, very pro-life women who now spend their time telling other women, don't do what I did because of ABC. So I hope that you'll join us for little things to get into this topic even more and to just really explore God's grace and how he'll go on and use our greatest mistakes um, to really impact the world. Episodes drop every Sunday. I know I listen to them on my way to church, which is a huge blessing to me. Um, Also, you should know that we have uh, a premium, like a special resource that we would love to share with you. It's called Pro Every Life. So trying to think of all the people involved in an unplanned pregnancy. And I hope you can watch the television programs. Uh, Check out that resource. It'd be great for you, great for your church, great for a a Bible study. And we hope it brings you closer to truth and love, just like Jesus said. So once again, Amber, thank you so much. And we hope we can talk to you again soon. Thanks so much.